Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to a new year. We are here at Institut Biblique du Québec in the city of Longueuil. When I say we, I mean me and my wife and my daughter. That's it. We are the crew for this morning, and I want to thank them for all of their hard work and putting up with all of my commands and all of my barking about technology here. And uh, thank you, Sean and Simon and Viano and Caleb. Uh, that's a set that they recorded uh, we did it live a few weeks ago, so I just thought it was appropriate, and I thank those uh, folks for helping and serving as well, and everybody's got the day off today, so to speak, uh, with some of the new changes here in the province of Quebec. We just thought it would be wise uh, to give everyone the day off and kind of hit the reset button together. We are going to do communion today. Uh, so if you can prepare some emblems, it can be any type of bread or juice would be fine. We're going to do that at the end of our time together. Let me just take a moment to quickly welcome you. We'll put some slides on the screen. If you are a first-time guest to this broadcast, you can text the key phrase, reach the one with no spaces to 514-900-0130, and that will allow me to follow up your visit with us. The purpose of our church, the reason why we exist, is to reach the one who is far from God, so that together we would become passionate followers of Jesus. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, those of you who are on now, you're on uh, Facebook or uh, YouTube. And I notice our YouTube is growing, so uh, you can uh, subscribe to our channel and get uh, the notifications by hitting the bell there, and that way you will get new content. Uh, I encourage you to be a, an electronic evangelist and like and share the broadcast, participate, put comments up there. We will try to uh, publish them as we have time here. Uh, jumping through the slides, we'll see what we can put on. I will ask you a question in a couple of moments that you can participate in. Okay, uh, remember as well, Wednesday night on Zoom, Zoom, we are continuing our Bible study, which is using the Alpha Course, with great video-based content, and we're on the section about the Holy Spirit. Always good to cover at the beginning of the year, so if you want to join in on Zoom, uh, the link is the same as it's always been. I send it out uh, now and again. You should have it from last week. If you do not, it's because you're not on our list, okay? So once again, text the key phrase, Reach the one to 514-900-0130, and we'll get you on that list, okay? How do you give when churches are locked down and shut down and everything is closed up? Well, you can give online, and so many of you have done that the last couple of years. You can do that through PayPal. Uh, and also e-transfer. Now, with e-transfer, you do need to provide us with a password. Just communicate that to me, and we can handle that. If you want to give the old-fashioned way with check or cash, we can make arrangements for pickup as well. Just reach out to us. All of our contact information is on our website, citypointchurch.ca. All right, so today we're going to talk about, I think, an appropriate subject, and that is the subject of time. And we're in this series, What Jesus Believed. Uh, this is a, a look at life through the lens of Jesus and uh, seeing if we can ascertain, if we can kind of deduce what Jesus believed 
about different things in life. And we've covered quite a number of different subjects. You can catch up on our Facebook and YouTube channel. Uh, and even on our website, we've got it all there. We've got audio running on Podbean and Apple Podcasts as well, and uh, Spotify. So uh, you can catch up. But today we're going to talk about time. And it's interesting when you approach the Gospels, when I say Gospels, I mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible's New Testament. And when you approach those and you try to ask questions and you're open to the answers, whatever answers you find, right? And that's the trick. And so you can ask Jesus all kinds of questions. Say, well, what have you got to say to me through the Gospels about a given subject? So the subject today is time, as we have just crossed into the year 2022. Wow, you know, 2022 sounds just like 2020. Two. And some people think this is 2020 part two with the way that the year is starting out here. So I want to ask you a leading question here, and you can just respond by writing a word or writing the, the letter, or maybe one of these choices doesn't really describe you. But how do you feel at the beginning of this new year 2022. And I just put some options on the screen there, okay? You can put whatever you want. There's no wrong answers, all right? So do you feel A, hopeful? So you look at this new year and you have hope on the inside. Or maybe you look at this new year and you're approaching it and you feel very, very uncertain about what is to come. Or maybe you just feel flat out discouraged, or maybe it's somewhere in between or something off of this list. But how do you feel as we move into the new year, 2022? Put some comments down there. It'll be interesting to see what people say. Now, if you share something on Facebook, uh, the YouTubers will be able to see it if we're able to post it, okay? So we'll work on that for you. It's interesting when we, we talk about the new year in our culture. And really, this is worldwide. And uh, most, most people around the world use the same calendar that we're using. And sometimes we think that uh, God operates by our calendar, you know, and we think, well, this is a new year, 2022, as if it's some kind of new year for God. And I remember this took place when the millennium changed, and we went into the year 2000, and there was just a furor of... of uh, of books that were written and of um, uh, uh, sermons that were preached and all kinds of panic about what would happen when the clock changed and it was this people thought that Jesus would come back when the clock changed in the year 2000 of course none of what was expected actually happened uh, as if God somehow operates by our calendar and uh, I mean We've just passed through Christmas. You do know, folks, that even Christmas, Jesus was not born, you know, in the year zero. We we call this uh, the year 2022 A.D. or uh, Anno Domini, year of our Lord. Uh, and so we, in our heads, we think that Jesus was somehow born in the year zero. Well, it wasn't. Um, Jesus, if you go by our calendar, Jesus was actually born before Jesus was born. 
because there's a, there's a mistake in our calendar. Uh, the monk who was instrumental in founding the calendar that we're currently using miscalculated uh, a, a, a key date. And really, Jesus would have been born between the years 6 and 4 B.C., by our calendar, that is. I hope you're not too confused yet. But we've got to learn that God doesn't really operate by our calendar and by our time. So while it's 2022 our time, it may not be 2022 God's time, if you know what I mean. So I don't know how you feel, if you're hopeful, if you're uncertain, if you're discouraged, if you're somewhere in between. But I want to give you some observations from Matthew and Mark and Luke and John about what Jesus believed about time. And then at the end, we're going to have communion together, our first communion for the year 2022 as we're in this temporary you know, place of worship lockdown. Number one, Jesus believed that time was a marker of purpose. Time was a marker of purpose purpose. So I I put different passages on the screen that you can uh, refer to. You can write these down or or revisit them later on. You've got quite a lot of scripture here. So if you're looking for, you know, a Bible study for the next month, really, you've got enough passages of scripture to go through here. It'll take you a month to go through to understand. I was uh, stunned doing research on this subject and seeing how much Jesus says about time. Uh, It's an astounding amount of material. You could easily write a book on the subject about what Jesus believed about time. There's so much content. So I'm just going to give you a few observations today, but you've got a lot of material in these texts if you're looking for a good Bible study, okay? So for him, it was a, a, uh, there was a purpose to it. It was a marker of purpose. So Mark chapter 1, verse 15, uh, after John the Baptist was put into prison, Jesus goes into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, we're told. And look what he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. What time? Well, his time the kingdom of God time, the time to repent and believe. So there is a purpose to it. It's not a kind of a blind thing, but Jesus thinks that there's purpose in time. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 4, this is the wedding at uh, Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother is there. Jesus and his disciples were invited to this wedding. The wine is gone from the wedding, big problem in, a, in that culture. And Jesus' mother says, we have no more wine. And look what he says. He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. What hour? What time? He seems to think that there'll be a, there's a purpose and a particular moment that he is destined to do something in time. So for him, it's not a blind passing. There is a purpose to time. John chapter 12, verse 31. Uh, this is before Jesus is crucified. He's moving up to that time. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. 
Wow. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, speaking of his crucifixion, will draw all people to myself. And John gives us commentary. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So there's this time, he says, when he's crucified, there will be judgment. The prince of this world will be driven out. Somehow his authority, somehow his power will be stripped in some way. And when I am lifted up from the earth, he says, I will draw people to myself. Again, his view of time is that it has a purpose. Another observation for you, Jesus believed that time could be interpreted. Uh, we use a, a phrase these days, very popular uh, this year or this past year, and it's the phrase, read the room. And uh, it means, you know, you, you're in a conversation with people and, you know, you're you need to perceive what's going on, and you need to read the room, so to speak. And Jesus, in many ways, agrees with this with respect to time. So Luke chapter 12, verses 54 to 59, an example of this. And he says to a crowd, you've got religious folks in there. You've got uh, people who are outcasts there. You've got a mixed bag there. And he says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot. And it is. And now he chastises them. Hypocrites, he says. And this would be, again, a, a largely religious group, but some who weren't, you know, some who were outcasts from that group. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time? Read the room. Read the time. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way. That's a clue. What time is it? It's reconciliation time. It's time for you to reconcile with your adversary. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. So what you need to do is you need to practice reconciliation. That's the time. This is the time of the kingdom of God. It's approached you. This is the time that you need to repent. This is the time that you need to make it right. How do you not see that? And he finds them to be hypocritical because they can't seem to read the room. You keep going in Luke's gospel. You see Luke uh, chapter 19. This is, again, Jesus approaching his time of death. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. Imagine. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But it is hidden from your eyes. It's like you're blinded. It's like you can't see. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. He's looking at Jerusalem. 
And he's saying, you don't see what's coming and you don't see what's here now. Now is the time that would bring you peace, but you don't see it. It's hidden from your eyes. There's going to come a time where this city is going to be destroyed. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another Why? Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Less than a generation later, in the year 70, the city of Jerusalem, the temple, was destroyed. Never to be rebuilt that temple. The only thing we have remaining is a retaining wall uh, from the extension that Herod had built there. We call it the Wailing Wall. It's never been rebuilt. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, you, you, you don't see who I am. You don't see the time of God's coming to you, which is me right here, right in front of you, which would bring you peace. You don't see that, and you don't see what's coming in the future. You are not reading the room. But he apparently thinks that they should have, and that they can, but they did not. It's a bit disturbing, this. And, you know, many of us today, we look around uh, at this time that we're living in this bizarre time of the last two years, at least to us. And I wonder, are we, are we reading the room? Are we reading the, the time? Uh, another observation, Jesus believed clearly in his return at a future time. You say, well, yeah, we know that. Jesus taught about the second coming. We just sang about it in the worship. Yeah, we know that story. We know about that. But you've got to put yourself back in these people's shoes in the first century. These people knew nothing of the idea that the Christ, the Messiah, would come twice. This This is a concept that Jesus reveals. In the Old Testament, you see a picture of the coming of the Messiah. You see some images of what that will look like. It's a bit confusing. You see a Messiah who is a military leader. You see a Messiah who is a governor, a political leader who is powerful, uh, who brings uh, peace, who unites the world, who mm, brings the people back to, uh, uh, to Israel, who reestablishes uh, Jerusalem. And you see this messianic figure uh, pictured that way. You also see this figure pictured as a suffering servant. Uh, both of these images you can see in the book of Isaiah. It's confusing. And uh, today, the modern Jewish mind and the modern rabbis reject the idea of the second coming of Jesus. And they say that uh, all, everything was supposed to be fulfilled by the Messiah in the one time, which is very difficult to try and figure out. How can the Messiah die on the one hand and rule on the other? And here you have Jesus who brings in this concept of he will come again. 
So the first time he comes, it's to serve. The first time he comes, it's to give his life. The first time he comes, it's to bring peace in the heart and in the soul. The time of repentance, the time of reconciliation, the time of the kingdom of God coming near. And we see Jesus evidence this by the miraculous things that he's able to do. He's showing them that he is indeed God in the flesh. He's authenticating the claims that he's making. But at the same time, he's saying, I'm going to come again. There'll be another time. So confusing probably to the people at that time. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 to 16, as an example, uh, John's disciples come to Jesus. Um, no, sorry, come to John, and they say, how is it that, uh, that we and the Pharisees often fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus here alludes to it. How can the guests of the bridegroom referring to the wedding of that time, mourn while he is with them. The time will come when the bridegroom, referring to himself, will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Implication, is he coming back? No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. He's introducing this idea of his return one day. He's here now. He's going away. He's going to come back would have been utterly confusing to these people. Uh, another parable, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talks about this. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among uh, weeds among the wheat and went away. And the wheat sprouted and formed heads, but the weeds also appeared. And so the owner's servants came to him and they said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Well, where'd these weeds come from then? And the reply, an enemy did this. And so his servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Referring to, in a parable here, a coming time where Jesus will judge. The most uh, detailed uh, portion of Scripture that we can see about this is in Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, uh, this is a long, long section of Scripture. We call it the Olivet Discourse because Jesus uh, gave this kind of address on the Mount of Olives. And so he leaves the temple and is walking away from it. This is right at the end before he's going to be executed. It's one of the last big messages that he gives. And his disciples come up to him and they call attention to the temple. Elaborate enlarged by by Herod the Great, and they, they call attention to it and its buildings. And Jesus says to them, do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. 
That would have been a shocking statement to make. The temple and its buildings, that is the place of worship in that time. That is the place where the presence of God dwells among men at that time. And he says it's all going to be destroyed, and it was uh, less than a generation later in the year 70. But Jesus goes on. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, that's why we call it the Olivet Discourse, the disciples came to him in private, and they say, tell us, when will this happen? Presumably the this that Jesus talked about before. Uh, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus gives this long, long response in Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, and he talks about a time to come, and he talks about different things happening at different times. It is highly detailed, and it's, it's very difficult to interpret and to try and figure out well, what time is he talking about? When will this happen and when will this happen? But clearly he sees these things as coming and he sees himself as coming. And we call it the, the second coming or the second advent of Jesus when he will return. And he, he talks about how people will be deceived. He, say, he talks about, watch out. There's a lot of people who are going to come and say, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. You know, I am Jesus. Watch out. There's going to be all kinds of things that happen. There's going to be all kinds of distress in the world. There's going to be all kinds of persecution. There's going to be all kinds of bad things that happen. And it's confusing because we're not sure when he's talking about. There's so many many different interpretations of these two chapters, but one thing is clear, and all would agree on this, Jesus is promising here that he will return. And he says, he says, you're, you're going to know it's me. As lightning from the, from the east is visible, even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to be obvious to the whole world that I have come back and that I have returned to this literal world. He speaks of a time of judgment, but he also speaks of a time of hope at the same time. He speaks of a time of wrath and a time of restoration. You see this followed up in the book of Revelation, and you see this wrath of God poured out on the planet, and then you see this time of restoration. Again, many, many different views and interpretations of this, whichever your take is, one thing is certain, Jesus is promising that he will return. And we should be thankful for this, my friends. We should be hopeful about this because the world in its present state is not the way that God wants it to stay. Uh, you and I look at what's going on on planet Earth. I mean, we could survey all around the globe and see so much trouble and so much pain and so much war and so much death and so much needless suffering and so much sin and so much uh, uh, injustice. Uh, we can see this everywhere. And our hearts cry out for something better. Well, don't you think God's does? And this is why he will clean up 
the mess, as it were. This is why Jesus will return. This is why ultimate judgment on evil will come. This is why uh, there's this promise, even in the book of Revelation, he'll bring in a new heaven and a new earth, and the old order of things will pass away, and there'll be no more sorrow or death or dying, for the old order has passed away. I long for that new order to come. You say you're crazy. How can you believe that Jesus Christ would come back? Maybe he lived, maybe he died, but surely he's not going to come back. Uh, the, the hinge on which I base my faith is the resurrection of Christ from the dead. If he did indeed rise from the dead, then I have reason, hope even, confidence even, to believe in his return supernaturally he rose from the dead, well then, supernaturally he will return. And people are fascinated by this. Even people who are not part of the church, who are not Christian, are fascinated by this. You know, I checked the top 10 um, uh, movies on Netflix, and the, the one of the top 10 movies on Netflix for the last few days is Left Behind with Nicolas Cage. I have to say this is one of the worst movies from a production standpoint that I have ever seen, but it explores the concept of the second coming of Christ, and in particular, what we call the rapture. And this is the belief that Jesus will first remove the believers from the planet in a supernatural, instantaneous event. And this movie explores uh, what that will look like, and uh, this is what we call the rapture. We take this from a couple of passages in the New Testament, uh, things that Paul wrote, and we try to see if Jesus talked about this as well. But regardless of our view on this, some people believe in it, some people don't, uh, Jesus is promising that he will return. And no matter how we cut the theological cake, and no matter how we try to uh, render these, these magnificent chapters in Matthew 24 and 25, the promise of the return of Christ is there. Uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 35 is another place where Jesus talks about this, and I like the way he does it here. Uh, he's, he's being asked by the Pharisees, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus says, the kingdom of God, the coming of the kingdom of God, sorry, is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God, he says, is in your midst. And then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Implication. He's leaving, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them, for the, uh, the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation, coming once to suffer and to die for the sins of humanity, coming again in the future 
to judge and redeem the world. Wow, this is a new idea for them. For us, we should be looking at this with hope because we live in the time in between Jesus' first coming 2,000 years ago and his soon coming return. Another observation for you, Jesus believed we need patience in this time. Um, God, I'll put it this way, God is not 5G. (laughs) One of the more uh, bizarre and amusing uh, conspiracy theories that has arisen in this time of pandemic is that there's some connection with it and 5G. And it's it's very bizarre theory, and it's like a science fiction movie. And it's the idea that, you know, the whole thing was cooked up uh, with the purpose of confining people to their homes so these white trucks could go around secretly and install these 5G towers so that the, the government could survey us even more and follow us even more and watch us even more like a George Orwell uh, novel. And uh, it's all about the control and uh, the secret uh, conspiracy they want to control and watch us all. And, uh, you know, that they connect this with the vaccine. And, you know, if you take your 5G phone and you put it up to your vaccine site on your arm or your shoulder or whatever, it's going to stick there because of the, the microchip and the vaccine. It's all connected. It's all 5G. It's, it's really quite a science fiction uh, conspiracy theory there. Uh, but let me tell you something about 5G that's true. It's really, really, really fast really fast. And we like things to be fast. And you can do things with 5G in terms of multitasking and speed because your what they call latency is reduced to almost nothing and you can accomplish so much more, so much quicker and get the results you want now, quicker than ever before, faster than ever before instantaneously, at least relatively speaking, because now we're at 5G. My friends, God is not 5G. Uh, he, he is maybe, um, I don't know if he chuckles a little bit at, at the speed of 5G, uh, because it's nothing for God. He does not operate the way that we do. You see this in Acts chapter 1. Uh, some of the last words of Jesus after his resurrection and just before he ascended away from the disciples into the supernatural place of God into heaven. And here in Acts chapter 1, he's having a, a discussion with them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit again on Wednesday night uh, in uh, in Zoom, on our Zoom call, the Alpha Course. And here in verse uh, 6, they say to him, essentially they're asking him for 5G speed. They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to wind it up now? Are you going to show your messianic power now? Are you going to overthrow the Romans now? Are you going to bring in the time of judgment now? Are you going to restore the kingdom back to us? They want 5G. 
And Jesus responds, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you, here's what you need. You need something better than 5G. Here, what you need is the power from the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. And you will be my witnesses when you receive that power. And you will start in Jerusalem, right here in home base, and then you'll move out to the greater province of Judea, and then you'll go to the place that you don't like, the, uh, where the Samaritans are, and then you'll go even farther than that to the very ends of the earth. But you need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to do that. And so he, he gets them off of this idea that we want your coming now. And he says, no. That's not what you need right now. What you need is the power of the Spirit so that you can be my witness. You can be my evangelist. You can live your life in a Christian way, even in an unchristian world. You can speak for me. You can proclaim my message to people with boldness and courage. This is what you need right now. It's even better than 5G. So, and, these, and this is just some observations about Jesus and time. So again, he believes that time is a marker of purpose. He believed that it could be interpreted. He clearly believed in his future coming. And he believed that we need patience. My goodness, do we need patience. And that's why we, in many ways, that's the reason why we celebrate and we observe communion. Uh, because of this. So, uh, Matthew chapter 26, verses 18 and 19. And here we're going we're gonna to wrap up and start to get into our communion together. Jesus, speaking of his death here, preparing the last supper, as we call it. And he says, go into a certain city, uh, uh, go, go into the city and tell this certain man, you're going to run into a guy, and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. Here he goes again with time. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. Here it is. It's time. Uh, John chapter 17 and, uh, and verse 1 Uh, Jesus finishing a discussion here. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then Jesus looks up to heaven and prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. The time of his death is is coming, he's saying. And when we observe the, the, the Lord's table, simple little symbols of Jesus and his body and his blood, we are acknowledging the time that we're in. And we're reading the room that we're in. So if you'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 23 to 26, you will see this. And think about time as you look into uh, this passage that we read so often at communion. We'll try and get some uh, little background music going here at the same time. What Paul says to these people, think of time here. 
For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, that's in the past, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance, the past, of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, something we do and are about to do in the present, you proclaim the Lord's death, something in the past, until he comes, something in the future. What a time we live in, a time where if we're reading the room, we're in communion with Jesus after his death and before he comes. This is why we partake of communion, because we're acknowledging what he has done and looking with hope for what he will do. So if you have your emblems with you, I'm just going to ask you to take your bread while I take mine here. And when we do this, we're acknowledging that this, this represents, this pictures the body of Christ, the act of his crucifixion, the act of his voluntary death on the cross. And we remind ourselves this is his body. And we, wherever we are around this city, wherever we're watching from, we are the body of Christ. We may not be in the same room together, but we are the body of Christ, his people on this earth. Let's partake of the bread together. Now, I've just got this little emblem here of juice, and we often use these. We use these when we're together, and um, you know, it's funny. As I look into this camera, I picture your faces uh, and uh, look at this juice, uh, and this is, a, again, a picture, but this is a picture specifically of the blood of Jesus and the blood of the new covenant. He said to the people, this is the new covenant in my blood. There's a new relationship that you have with me because of the forgiveness of sins that I have offered to you. And so when we do this, again, we proclaim the Lord's death. We remember what he did for us until he comes. Would you partake with me? Let's pray together as we as we finish up today. Father, I thank you uh, for each person, for each home, each household, each family, each individual. God, I thank you for those who are watching presently, those who are going to watch. And Lord, uh, I pray that at the beginning of this, this year, uh, 2022, uh, Lord, help us, help us to develop the discipline of patience Help us, God, to be people who read the room. 
Help us, God, to be people who recognize the purposes that you have for us in our lives. Help us to be those who meditate on and hope for your soon return. Help us, God, even as we survey our own province and we look at the chaos and all of the things that are happening, help us to keep our eyes focused on you. Fill us with peace and with the calmness and with the composure because of your presence and your spirit with us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you today. Uh, we're going to leave you with a clip of a really nice ending to a worship set that our band did. I love this song, Protector, and uh, these men who have used their talents uh, to do this rendering of it. So enjoy the music as we close today. I look forward to seeing you on Wednesday night and then again on Sunday as we continue our series, What Jesus Believes. Stay safe, everyone, and God bless you today.
Hide the end of shadows. 